Well, Johnny, it's good to see you again. It's been a while. Um, let's uh, let's start with that the question that you were asking about uh, right livelihood. And you said something very interesting. You you said that people don't talk about it very much. That's kind of funny because I remember it being talked about a lot. Mm. And maybe we could go so far as to say that uh, they talked about it a lot, but they don't talk about it much anymore. Maybe that was it because the times that I remember when there was a lot talking about was way back when. 1970s to 1980s and that kind of stuff. Um, and it may have been talked up uh, partly because it was kind of one of the new kids on the scene. And so now it's kind of like a, a forgotten child. Hmm. Um, the first thing that we can say about the right livelihood is is that yes it is one of the eightfold noble path factors it is part of the um the method for freedom and so if you have a job that the job itself in order to make the job successful and productive means that everybody not just you but everyone who has that profession or that kind of occupation lies to people in order to uh, be uh, successful in the business. That's either the manufacturer himself that is over promoting his own merchandise that he's manufactured or it's a salesman who didn't make it and is still talking it up to the uh, to the person who's wanting to buy it in the sense of so in that regard, we have actually just nailed one of the professions that the Buddha has on his list is buying and selling. Now, a lot of Westerners, when they see that, they separate it out like it was three words, buying and selling. And so they look at the buying and that's bad. And we look at the selling, that's bad. But in fact, in the Pali, the, the word buying and selling is just one word. And that it has, in fact, that would be the word that they would have for business. So if you were in business, you probably got wrong livelihood. Sorry about that. Let's go look <laughs> why. Yes, let's go. All right. But but first, let's understand that there's um, ordinary ways of looking at it and noble ways of looking at it. And in the ordinary way of looking at it, it's kind of like a, a, a rule or a law or uh, a gotcha or a finger pointing device. Nah, 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 nah. That's the ordinary way of looking at it. And that's the way, in fact, that morality is taught to children. And that, in fact, the precepts themselves don't even have right livelihood as one of the items on the list. In the precepts, the uh, uh, right livelihood was, was not mentioned, that uh, right action is broken down into several groups, leaving right uh, speech 
as an item, and then they left off the item of right livelihood. And I think part of the reason for that is because these precepts are designed to teach kids who already have right livelihood. Being a mooch on mommy and daddy is right livelihood. <laughs> so long as mommy and daddy are agreeing to it. Mm -hmm. Yes. And in fact, that's what mother's milk actually is. His right livelihood for the baby. Hmm. He gets the nourishment he does, he needs, and all he does is suck. <laughs> yes. Uh, play on words there, by the way. Yes, <laughs> yes. I... <laughs> <laughs> and, and so uh, there is an ordinary right view that's that's taught from time to time, but since it's not really in the precepts, it's not really hammered home uh, in, in many ways. And uh, that leaves people with vast imaginations to imagine all kinds of things uh, that would be considered right livelihood that is not right livelihood, as well as considering a whole lot of stuff that wouldn't be right livelihood and uh, they think that it's right livelihood. Basically, what we can use as the guide for all of this stuff is Dukkha, Dukkha Naroda. Mm -hmm. The livelihood that we have that brings Dukkha to ourselves or to other people is not right livelihood, not noble right livelihood. And sometimes our livelihood is downright wrong because the things that we're doing in our uh, wrong livelihood actually harms folks harms people and mm -hmm. so some of the examples of that kind of stuff would be being in the business of weapons weapons dealing weapons manufacturer uh in those days it was swords nowadays it's ak-47s but whatever we're doing it's uh if the design for this item is to harm to blow holes in things skin and otherwise then uh, we're actually now intending to profit or take advantage off of someone else's or something else's demise or destruction. Hmm. And so that reason, weaponry and um, uh, poisons. Now the question would be, well, what poisons would go on there? For instance, would DDT go on that list? Well, the FDA uh, would say yes. <laughs> I see, yes. But some of your farmers would not because they see the advantage in killing all of those bugs, not recognizing that they also kill things in the water and the water gets in the river and they kill things in the river and so on. Mm -hmm. And so um, basically what we're going for with the understanding of right livelihood then is not causing harm, not doing damage, either to other people or to ourselves. Hmm. That in fact, that's what the whole teaching of the Buddha is. And that as we learn to not create and cause dukkha for ourselves, we get very, very sophisticated at understanding what is dukkha so that we can avoid it. And then we avoid shoveling it on other people. 
because we recognize this law of karma that's in there, that if you give people a bunch of crap, they're going to give you some of theirs back. That's mm-hmm. just how things are. Yeah. And so um, an, an example of that is uh, the gun manufacturers are now being sued in the United States by guess whom? The Mexican United. government is suing gun manufacturers in the United States in federal court. Mm. Why? See. Because they're dumping weapons into Mexico, causing all kinds of trouble down there. Actually, they're going so far as to making weapons special order from the cartels. It's got mm. certain features and they manufacture <laughs> them and then smuggle them right into Mexico. And the Mexican government, the Mexican people have had enough of that. Hmm. So that's an example right there of wrong livelihood. But we could have said, well, wait a minute, they're making weapons anyway, and that's on the Buddha's list. That should be enough for me. No, it's actually a good idea to recognize why. Okay. That in fact, what what I'm really talking about now is that I've made a shift from the Eightfold Noble Path into talking about the uh, the teachings of to the Kalama people, where the Buddha says, "Do not take a teaching based upon tradition, or based upon your teacher's knowledge, or based upon the fact that it was written in a book, or uh, it's hearsay, or common knowledge, or you heard it on the street corner, or my best." Buddha buddy told me this or any of that kind of stuff. But rather, and not only that, but we can't just automatically accept it because it feels good, because there is certain things like confirmation bias. They've even got a label for it now. And boy, Mm. is that um, uh, pernicious in the sense that people, we will take things as true because they already thought that they were true. And so therefore, when it presents itself in a new way, they just automatically take it because it already agrees with what they have rather than making yet a new investigation. Hmm. So this is the way that each one of us has to do. And, and mostly there is an underlying question that people who would watch this video would ask to themselves, and you probably ask yourself that too. You're not asking me, asking me to, oh, tell all about the Buddha's Eightfold Noble Path, including uh, 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 right noble um, occupation. But what you're saying is, is the question of, am what I doing now is, does that fit? Yes, that's, yeah. of course, is, that's is, the is main what thing. what I'm doing now, <laughs> is that right livelihood or is that wrong mm-hmm. livelihood? And the answer is, is that it depends upon the way you look at it and the way you feel about it. And it doesn't have much to, to do with what someone like myself tells you. Of but course, what I can yes. do is guide you into looking for yourself how the occupation that you has causes you misery and suffering. Yes, yes. And when you recognize that it is, in fact, causing you misery and suffering, you have some choices now to make that you didn't know Mm. that you had before. New choices. Mm. One of them is to change your attitude, which is the one that I highly recommend, because that's actually the easier thing to do, is to change your attitude about your job so that you act in that job more nobly, rather than expecting the nobility to come out of the job itself. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Yes, of course. Yeah. Any job that's going to be noble has to have some nobility put into the job because other than that, the job itself is empty. Mm -hmm. It's sunyata. Doesn't mean a thing. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it it has become quite apparent, I, I would say, that like, it's all about me, not necessarily the activity itself, uh, in the sense of like, uh, like, because like, sometimes I've had very pleasant states at work and I've had very unpleasant states at work. So it seems quite obvious that well, like, in it's that not, case, it couldn't possibly be the work itself. No, could it? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it's not the job itself. It's, uh, it's me, uh, and, and the way that I approach and the way that I feel about it in that particular moment and uh, that sort of thing. Um, mm -hmm. yes. Yeah. Uh, yes, of course that, that all makes quite a lot of sense and uh, it's quite easy to discern that, that that is indeed the case, not about like some, uh, some fact, some like, some like written thing like you do this, you don't do that. It's about how you feel and how you engage with that activity. Um, and how, what that activity kind of helps you cultivate, if it helps you cultivate suffering or cultivate more peace and that sort of thing. Um, yes. Okay, so. <laughs> of course, it all comes from me, right? Mm -hmm. But. Uh, being in a certain place or doing a certain kind of activity in general as a, a kind of um, a kind of flavor to it. It can be like a flavor that's kind of like slightly shifts towards positivity or slightly shifts towards negativity, um, almost like a certain vibe that it's there that like when, once you enter your workplace, there's a almost like a shift that you can feel it almost in the body and, and in the mind as well, like a like a an environmental shift of like it kind of pulls you towards a certain direction. Um, but of course, that all just seems like a bunch of like construction constructs of the mind <laughs> that I'm making. And I don't know if I make any sense. Uh, Actually, what you're what you're touching on here. Is um, let us put it in quotations in the beginning and then we'll take quotations out when we see that they don't they're really not necessary. OK, so um in in quotations we can say uh now that i <laughs> having trouble putting it into words now that i'm going to put it in quotations <laughs> <laughs> well if it helps remove the quotations maybe we can start with that as well it's right okay um well let's go in this direction then is it is what you make of it and when you make it, then we become attached to it as in the sense that it's mine. And in fact, we think of it as my job. Mm -hmm. Rather than thinking of it in the sense of, well, this is what we're doing right now. Mm -hmm. Yes. That we, that we get long time frames and long references. Um, that we can't just be who we are right now because we've got to carry, let us say, not just the baggage, but maybe even the dressings or the clothings of what we were before. Mm -hmm. Okay. That would be especially true 
for people who have changed jobs now that they are going to in their first day week or so of the new job they feel frightened and afraid because they somehow think or realize that the clothing the mental clothing that they were wearing in the old job doesn't fit into the new job okay so uh back to the point about the uh it has to do then with environment that uh that you you've heard things like you are what you eat mm. Yes. Well, there's another one that's actually quite important, but they don't say it like this because nobody can make any money off of this. And that is that you are where you are. Okay. Where you are, that determines who you are. Now, let's give some examples of that. One of them would be the example of the barfly. Versus, okay. a, let us say, versus a delivery boy who delivers pizza, but he's... He's very young and he's never been in a bar before and he walks into the bar and he's got a certain flavor or smell and he's got disagreeable to where the bar fly. This is familiar. Mm -hmm. Okay. now in that environment of those two, which one is most likely to become an alcoholic? Uh, Or the kid just wandered in there because he's delivering pizza. I think the bar fly because he's been there cultivating that habit for a long time especially since i uh, when i announced this as guilt by association hmm. all right or you are where you are this happens in all kinds of things frozen are you still there oh sorry you're you're cutting off a bit can you hear me Yes, now I can oh. tell you, you started to move again. Okay, so Sorry, you, this, yeah, this, okay. this thing that I started to put into quotations was the phrase guilt by association. Mm -hmm. That we are guilty of doing the things that the people that we hang around with are doing. Actually, it's written right into the law in the sense of okay. uh, uh, accomplice, accomplice to a crime. You don't have to be involved with it. All you have to do is just sort of be at the wrong place at the wrong time and know you are. Mm -hmm. I see. Yes. Okay. So uh, the same thing happens with um, many other things. For instance, when a young man gets married, he stops hanging out with his old buddies and starts hanging out with people that his wife wants him to hang out with which winds up being newly married people. Mm, yes. Okay, another example of that is, is that when a young man joins the army, does he get to slay it, stay at home and only go to the army post uh, like a, a regular job, nine to five? No. No, they want him. They want, they want him, yeah. right? He's going to be completely submerged into the, the culture of boot camp. Mm-hmm. Another example of that, that is language immersion. If you really want to lo learn a foreign language, you don't stay in a culture where they don't speak that language, trying to learn it out of a book or on line or something like that. No, if you want to learn Thai, you come to Thailand. Mm -hmm. Okay, right. immersed into the culture. So jobs are like that too. There can be two identical corporations. 
Mm. Both of them producing the same thing. In fact, they may, in fact, be set up to where they might be in competition with each other, but they all buy their uh, raw goods from the same people, and then they all sell their finished product to the same people. Mm -hmm. And yet, one of those places would be a wholesome place to work, an environment that is conducive, and the other one is completely unwholesome. Mm. I see. And that that may be a mixed bag in the sense that one of, let us say, place A may be wholesome for some people and not wholesome for others. And then uh, uh, place B would be opposite of that. And the people who would have a wholesome environment there will find it unwholesome. And the people who would have a unwholesome life in A will find it wholesome in B. Mm. It's like I said, a, a mixed bag. Why? Because it depends upon the results of the mind. Yes. And that often the guy who runs the show is the one who determines whether this organization is going to be a wholesome organization or it's going to be an unwholesome organization. Hmm. Clear example of that in politics would be the politician who is selfish and wants it only for his party versus the other one who is looking out for the greater common good. Mm. Yes. Okay. So that can be seen in, in um, uh, corporations too. There's some corporations are only interested in their own bottom line and other corporations are interested in a greater good. Mm. Even though their ideas of greater good may be mismanaged or off kilter or even on Mars, still Elon Musk has a more noble way of looking mm. at the world rather than other automobile manufacturers who are merely in it for the cash. Mm -hmm. So the intention is there. You're right. So some and the intention counts, even though the highway mm -hmm. to hell is paved with good intention. The other side of hell is heaven. And if you keep with your good intentions, you'll pass through hell right into where you're going anyway. Mm -hmm. All you have to do is pick up some skills along the way of getting out of hell. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. Uh, so when when we let's so I, I like to like approach stuff as if like e everything is a practice uh, and uh, being whatever place we are in is a chance to practice something. Uh, and we can cultivate good good stuff, wholesome stuff, uh, or we can cultivate unwholesome stuff at any place, at any time. Uh, and so would it be, so like right now, like the relationship that I have with my job is that it's like, it's a big, um, it's a big annoyance. <laughs> it's a big place where I find myself naturally uh, let me Cultivating ask you this question. Let me ask you this question. Is is the company, is the job annoying you or are you annoying the job? <laughs> Good question. Yeah, it's certainly me. It's certainly not the job. It's now <laughs> it all there always always everything always comes from the way that I'm feeling and how my thoughts are and how my mental state is and all that sort of thing. Um, right. That's correct. So let's add the next line and 
most people are out of control and they don't even recognize that they can be in control. Mm -hmm. yes. That's the real issue is, is that it's never the job. It's always how we feel about it and how we feel about it is either one or the other. It's either ordinary or it's noble. If it yes. is an ordinary response, an ordinary feeling, then that means that it comes out of your own past in your in our childhood where we felt a sense of loss or a sense of gain or a sense of um, punishment, retributions, doing what we're told to do and all of that kind of stuff are habits that built up so that that comes into this present moment. Mm -hmm. But then you have that choice. The choice is sati. Are you going to have take the choice to wake up? Mm -hmm. To wake up to how you feel about the job and to recognize all you feel about the job the way that you feel about all jobs. <laughs> you don't like them. You didn't yeah, like ABCs. Sure. You didn't like one, two, threes. You didn't like uh, Nietzsche. You didn't like uh, Shakespeare. You didn't like uh, E equals MC squared. You just really didn't like any of it. Mm -hmm. And and but we can always find out. Oh, it really was Einstein's fault <laughs> that I was no good at math because he made it too complicated. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, dismissal of responsibility. Exactly. When we do recognize 100% that we actually feel the way that we have, uh, let us say, been trained to feel, mm -hmm. rather than feeling about the job because of the job. The job doesn't cause you to feel in a certain way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. It that's is true. true. I, but, and, and I know that, I know that, but ah, it's... <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, it's, but it's do tricky, you yet know but. that then you have a choice about that, that if you can begin to control the way that you feel. Yeah, I, I come can approach that job in a more noble way, and that means that the job itself becomes more noble. Yes, of course. Because yeah, you're bringing I, the nobility into it mm -hmm, yeah. intentionally mm -hmm, as yes. opposed to hating it. Mm -hmm. OK, guess what? Doesn't matter where you are, but let's just say that you uh, uh, this was years ago and you were on an automobile assembly line. And mm -hmm. every time that you thought of hating your job, you just kind of drop a bolt off of that thing that you were screwing in. Screw it, you'd say mentally, <laughs> rather than screwing it in physically. Mm -hmm. All right. Yes. And then later we begin to find out that all oh, jalopies all over this area are falling apart because they didn't have all the bolts screwed in. <laughs> Right. Right. However, a noble in that particular position would be, uh, hey, I'm having a blast. Let me see how tight I can get these bolts. Mm -hmm. This is a right. lot of fun. I could do this. Do yes. it over and over and over again. I'm really good at it. I'm the best screwer in town. But his <laughs> bolts are on tight and the jalopies don't fall apart. Mm hmm. So that's right. an example then of taking a noble attitude to something winds up it generally being high quality rather than slapdash. Yes. Yeah, when when we kind of like devote ourselves entirely to that activity, the that the, the job becomes better, we feel better about the whole thing, we feel better about ourselves, everything's better. Mm -hmm. Basically. Exactly. Now when we take something noble to the task, 
then that means that we are actually more honest with ourselves about the work that we're doing, which then means that we are now kind of bound to be more honest with the people that we're working with about the job that we're doing, including our customers. Hmm. And so we're going to be more honest with them rather than relying upon regulators. The reason that we have regulators in the United States is because all of those employers are doing a business that's not noble. They need to be regulated because they're willing to cut corners because they're doing it selfishly. They're not doing it for the greater good. So like, for instance, uh, Southern Pacific, I think, is it uh, 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 a paper products company in Georgia owned by the Koch brothers? They make uh, all kinds of diapers and whatnot products and whatnot. Mm -hmm. But nobody wants to live within 100 miles of that plant, especially down the river. Mm -hmm. right. Because they are. And, and so what do they do? They spend millions of dollars to keep themselves in political power so that they can maintain the mess that they're making. They mm -hmm. work really hard to keep the regulators from doing their jobs. It's almost like they are intentionally harming people. Mm. Yeah, it's a kind of greediness that's all uh, kind of consuming them and uh, destroying mm -hmm. everything around. Right. And so anyone who would work at then this place, Southern Pacific, that know that the owners of it are intentionally polluting and doing it big time, that would weigh on their hearts and they would wonder, do I actually want to work for a company that I know the dirt on? Mm -hmm. Can I find a clean, wholesome company whose management has got the better good, the greater good at heart rather than. Uh, <laughs> and in this particular case, actually working very hard to make sure that they're screwing people. Mm. Yes, yeah, a lot of effort in that. <laughs> Right, there's a lot of effort in the oil industry to lie to people and to harm them. Mm -hmm. And so that some uh, occupations like politics and whatnot. And in fact, you could go so far as to uh, see that you, you have ordinary people with ordinary wealth, including up into the middle class. And then you have people who were really, really greedy with money. Many of them, uh, the money uh, was inherited, or at least a great portion of it was inherited, which means that now the individual, when he's in charge of all of that money, he's actually competing with daddy for what, who can be the biggest asshole in the world. <laughs> because he learned how to be an asshole from his dad, who was being mm. an asshole to all of these people, collecting all of this money, and now Junior's got to be even a bigger asshole than daddy. Hmm. Okay, many examples of that, but Donald Trump comes to mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I see. Yeah. But um, uh, Gates, uh, not not Bill Gates, the other one in Florida, he also comes to mind because his daddy was a major politician making all kinds of trouble. So now this Gates has to be even worse than mm. his dad. And so uh, these are the kind of people and and for some reason or another, they're the ones who always are the most wealthy. You mm. can go so far as to say that wealth and power corrupt. Ultimately, even if it's not ultimate power and ultimate wealth, it will ultimately eventually corrupt. Mm. 
because yes. the money and the power become important mm. rather than the general welfare. Yes. And so the guys who are trying to accumulate all their mo- all that money are operating under a form of ignorance. And that ignorance is I'll feel better if I get more money. Mm. They never end. More money comes and they feel a little bit better for a little short time and then they want money again. It's almost like an addiction that they've got to have yeah. more and more and more because it's not ever enough. Okay. Yeah. But when you're practicing nobly in the business world, that means that this transaction is good enough. Mm-hmm. This is fine. Okay. That whatever happens will be okay. And so we wind up not competing so much. So we could say then that any job that you have to, that you have to compete in is probably not the right, not the right livelihood for the individual who uh, is compelled to compete. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, it's almost like, you know, in, uh, in school they talk about two kinds of games, competitive games that have scores and winning, and then they have non-competitive games where everybody's happy and there's no score being kept. Mm-hmm. That would be a win-win situation. Guess what? Capitalism, don't do that. Capitalism is all about scoring points and winning and taking and grabbing and taking advantage, et cetera, like that. So you could go so far then as to say that capitalism itself is in dangerous of danger of being wrong livelihood. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that you have to quit my, um, uh, capitalism completely. Mm-hmm. But you could certainly move over to the side. Mm-hmm. Right. Rather than being a major player in the game. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, moving to the side of capitalism so that we can find a place where we can find comfort and security and also doing someone some good, some value. Mm. That another way of saying it, in fact, going back to the Eightfold Noble Path, that right livelihood is the last item on the list because it should be the last item that's actually cleaned up. Hmm. That all of the rest of the Eightfold Noble Path is, in fact, getting one ready, including that getting our mind organized and getting the mind unified, um, Sama Area Samati, that puts us in the position of being free from want or free from desire. Hmm. So if you don't want anything, you're likely to not kill anybody for it. Hmm. Okay, and uh, if your mind is pure and clear, you're unlikely to steal something from anybody just in the normal context. Mm-hmm. Now we can put it into the sense of right livelihood and we can put it back into that context. If the mm-hmm. mind is noble, then we're not going to intentionally take advantage of people with this buying and selling, shysterism, tricks of the trade, uh, pulling a fast one. Uh, uh, <clears throat> giving uh, specifications for one grade of concrete and then pouring a lower grade, you know, the tricks. <laughs> happens so much, feels like. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So a lot of it then has to do with honesty and our own mind. 
And also it has to do with how we're going to deal with others, which means that if you are in a business or a situation to where you have to continuously deal with a shyster or a crook or someone who's lying all the time, it is better to find another place to do business. Mm-hmm. Okay, right. just like going back to the bar. If you if you're sitting there with a drunk at the bar, the likelihood is that you're going to get drunk sitting there. Yeah. With him. Yeah, yeah. That's that's the sort of thing that I when I that I meant when I like it feels like uh, everything in life is like a a practice or a, an opportunity to cultivate something. And those kinds of cir circum circumstances and situations that we find ourselves in sometimes in in our jobs tend to like be directed to cultivate a particular kind of thing like being at the bar or you know, right it kind of like cultivates this uh uh like this this it's a practice of like being more it's like it's like we're practicing getting that sip of alcohol uh you know slowly slowly uh, a little bit every day that sort of thing um and yeah and it it's <laughs> it, it seems quite well limiting beliefs i suppose <laughs> but it seems quite uh hard to find a place where well we do our best i suppose but we find a to find a place where where we can cultivate that where, where like a place where like uh, the actual boss and that sort of thing has this sort of mentality and um this sort of uh will to to have this 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 environment at work and and uh that sort of thing but of course, fundamentally, it all comes from us first, first and last. But, uh, but yeah. Yes. So that basically means that it's a um, a one-two punch or a two-step. First, we clean out the inside, mm -hmm. and only after we have the inside cleaned out, at least for the moment, at least for the moment, not long term just not like yes. oh i've got to have 10 years experience of absolute pure <laughs> mind before i'm allowed to go to 7-eleven no i'm not <laughs> <laughs> but in the moment when the mind is clear and we can see that's the time that we actually look mm -hmm. closely and it's also the time that when we've got the inside cleaned out that we could go back and then operate on the outside nobly for at least a short period of time mm. and until uh, uh what is the latin phrase um uh illegitimate con uh carborundum mm. okay which is actually it's it's fake latin but what it translates <laughs> to is uh, the illegitimate is actually uh, a better word for it, but it's translated into bastards. Don't let the bastards grind you down. If mm. you've gotten yourself up to a noble point, you need to find an occupation where the bastards are not going to grind you down. Mm. Okay, now the word is actually illegitimate rather than bastard. Mm. And so we can say that uh, that that's actually a better word to use, because when we understand illegitimate, that means that the nobility is legitimate. Hmm. And the ordinary is illegitimate. It's not really up to scratch because it's always kind of looking for a way to take an advantage. Hmm. Yes. It's capitalism, by the way, and that's what capitalism is all about, is finding a way of taking advantage. Hmm. 
Yeah. So, so the Republicans are trying to take advantage of the Democrats, the Democrats are trying to take advantage of the Republicans, and the rich are mm-hmm. trying to take advantage of the poor, and the poor are trying to take advantage of the not looking. Mm-hmm. Okay, right. so this is this is what it's all about. Is uh, this? Uh, we think that right livelihood means then that we've got to get something. We've got to have some advantage. Mm. Because everybody else is out there trying to get an advantage or trying to uh, cut corners or uh, uh, get something. Um, It's almost like the distinction between. I only want to win when the win is absolutely legitimate. In other words, I can prove and my own friends can prove that I won that one. Fair and square. Mm -hmm. That's one attitude. That's kind of a noble attitude that I'm going to win Mm. this thing, but I'm going to win it right. Mm. Okay, I'm even going to give my opponent an extra few advantages just to prove that I'm that much better than (laughs) he is. Okay. But the ignoble way, like Donald Trump again, would be winning at any cost. That the win is the important thing, not the playing of the game. Mm. So for the noble, playing the game is it. The winning Mm. is irrelevant. Because mm-hmm. he's already won. Yeah. It, the the whole activity is the point, not the not the, the activity of the, the results, or... thing, not the winning and the losing, and who got mm-hmm. all the money. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. So with this, then we can kind of make a new view of right, noble um, uh, livelihood, and change it into something that has a little bit more meaning, and that is right, noble lifestyle. Mm -hmm. The way that we live our lives is based upon the noble mind of being free from want, free from worry, free from uh, uh, desires for things, and therefore not needing to take advantage of anyone. Mm -hmm. And when people see that, they can appreciate it. That it's almost like finally they found somebody that they can actually trust because everybody else they ever met is trying to take advantage of them. Mm-hmm. Right. And so this is the way that we want to start having a lifestyle. The lifestyle is, is that we do everything up front with noble nobility shining. Mm-hmm. And with that nobility shining, then people pick up on that. And they start to become noble also. It's just like joy. It's really, really hard to maintain anger when you've got a whole bunch of people teasing you. Hmm. Right. Okay. Or even if you've got one jolly guy who's as who's there, uh, uh, one person spreads joy everywhere. It's almost like a Johnny Appleseed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, it really is. And so this is the way that we want to approach our lives so that we have the lifestyle that then just kind of fits into the livelihood thing. But really what we're doing is not so important as are we enjoying it? I've even gone mm-hmm. so far to tell uh, a couple of the students is, is that you're being friends with all of the people at your company is the only job that you've got. Mm. Yeah. I can certainly see that because it, it creates uh, such a nice 
mental space to be in when mm -hmm. that happens. So that the actual job that you have to do is secondary, that the primary job is to be friendly and happy with everybody. Mm -hmm. Janitors, the nerds, the freak show, everybody. Mm -hmm. Right. That in fact is everybody at work is um is appointing to meta in the sense of the four points of the or the six points of the compass. Have you ever heard of the six points of the compass when in reference to meta? I have not. Okay, the six points of the compass in Western mind, the compass is pointing north, therefore north and the North Star and on mm -hmm. and on and on. North is really north to where in these uh, the six points of the compass uh, in the old time of the Buddha, they're talking about the metaphor of the people who were right in front. Those are the people that we do business with, that we associate with. We are uh, at work. Then on one side, we have our friends. On the other side, we have the family. Behind us are the people that we've either turned our back on or the people who are trying to stab us in the back. Mm -hmm. The people above us are the people that we ourselves consider uh, authorities. Many people mm -hmm. will see cops and priests and politicians and whatnot, very rich people, bosses, that kind of stuff would be above us. And then the people below us are the ones who actually help us and are servants to us, including uh, cashiers, table waiters, and uh, those kind of people. People mm -hmm. who pump gas only in Oregon and in Thailand do you get gas pumped, but there are people mm -hmm. who do that. And so we have to treat them well. Now, this is completely different than the Western mentality when they say may all beings be happy because all beings in that situation is just a concept. Mm. So when I'm talking about, say, the company that you work for, well, it, it might be a really, really big company and you've got uh, uh, an assembly plant in, let us say, uh, Nevada and one in Texas. Well, if you're in the plant in Nevada, then your world is going to be that plant in Nevada and the people that you're likely to run into there. You don't have to worry about the, making the people in Texas happy. They're right. not in your world. That's mm -hmm. how we're beginning to look at it is, is that your world is only as big as you have fingerprints. Mm -hmm. Or another way of saying it is your world is actually the world that you personally can sense with your eyes and with your ears and with your touch, you can touch people. The people mm -hmm. that you can touch are in your world. The people that you cannot even touch or even see are just merely mental concepts for you. Mm -hmm. right. And so those are not the ones that we're talking about. We're actually talking about not having uh, meta or loving kindness for everybody because that's too much. I mean, we can't if we can't even make the people around us happy, how in the hell can we make people mm -hmm. that we don't even know happy? <laughs> right. Right. Especially when so many of them are just downright refusing to be happy. <laughs> right. Yes, that is true. Uh, actually, now that you you're talking about this, I I recall seeing and I think it was actually a video uh, on YouTube from you as well with the talk about meta with someone else where you talk about the six directions. And then when you start to talk about that, I remind you, oh, I've, I remember this. I remember this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, mm. So we can talk, think of that six directions because every job that you will have, I mean, even the mechanic 
will have people below him and above him and people mm-hmm. on, on, on all four sides of him. And even the new hires will have people below them if they look down on anybody. Even if it's just the, um, uh, let us say, the uh, the lunch machine, <laughs> the sandwich machine, okay? Right. And so we all have um, all six directions and we deal with things in all six directions. And in many cases, especially at work, we can think of that these six directions are not necessarily human. Sometimes they're human substitutes. I mean, how many people hate robots and they've never seen a robot? <laughs> they just right. hate the concept or maybe all they've seen is a uh, video of a robot for about 10 seconds mm. but they haven't maintained a robot for for mm. uh, um, for employment let's say so this idea then is beginning to treat the world in the way that we're radiating joy mm-hmm but you got to have a central core of joy in order for it to radiate. It's almost mm-hmm. like the lighthouse is not going to show the ship where the rocks are if the lighthouse can't even get its own lights on. Mm. Right. Yeah. And boy, isn't that nice to be joyful? <laughs> uh, yeah. I suppose that's okay. that's where our like our daily practice and our you know, constant appliance of sati and and our awareness of all of the of our state and so on. It's I suppose it kind of starts there, and then we can kind of like spread that to uh, well to to any any place that we're in, to our job and uh, our coworkers and uh, the people we interact with and that sort of thing. Yes, exactly. That's that's the way that you you, you do it. So. The, the sequence of events then is literally to get away from it all, get into seclusion. There, after we've gotten into seclusion, we figure out that, oh, I'm not really in seclusion. I brought all of that mess with me, even though I, I, I left it to avoid it. I brought it with me anyway. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, a clear example of that uh, on a longer time frame is the young man who, as a teen or a 20-year-old, hates his dad. Only when he's 40 does he recognize that he's just like his dad. Mm. Yeah, that, yeah, I, even even in myself, I see that a little uh-huh. bit. Mm. Okay, so uh, getting away from it all is not getting away from it all. It's recognizing what a burden we've got. Mm. It's almost like the fish, when it's out of water, he recognizes what water was. Mm-hmm. Because he's got none of it now. This is also the concept of shunyata, is mm. to look at the emptiness, to recognize what's there and what's not there. And so now we have the, the job of cleaning the mind or cleaning house, but we want to do that without having someone else dumping a garden uh, or a garbage, uh, um, uh, tip, uh, garbage dumpster full of crap on us all the time when we're trying to clean out. No, we actually want to get it clean. Mm. We want to find out what it's like to have a mind really clean. And that's the part of the seclusion is to get away from it all, get dried out, uh, get set on fire with the Dhamma. And then we can go back into the rain and still have a parade. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Yeah. When, when we develop that, 
that space, that, that mental space, then we can be independent of circumstances and uh, be joyful just the same. Mm -hmm. And that's when we can actually now start looking at it at a le little deeper level. Is it this job that I need? But we're only looking at that from the wholesome. This is an important point because everybody who's going to come and ask this kind of question is already coming with the point that they're dissatisfied with the job. And so they're going to have um, confirmation bias. Mm, yeah, but when we clean that confirmation bias out and take a really, really good, fair, clean look, now we can see things clearly and really address the issue correctly and properly. Is this a job fit for a noble? Mm hmm. Guess what? All kinds of jobs are fit for a noble in the right circumstances. Janitorial jobs are, in fact, some of the noblest jobs I know. Mm. Many janitors, for instance, in schools have kept kids from committing suicide. Mm -hmm. Okay. Chef in the South Park. <laughs> He's the only noble thing in that whole show. <laughs> 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 and yet he is a nothing to the people in the town. Mm -hmm. He only means something to the kids in the school. So this is what I mean, like uh, that a, a cook, a janitor uh, in an organization can sometimes be the most noble person in the whole outfit. Mm -hmm. I can certainly see that. Yes. And also it's possible for the boss to be noble, but that's so rare. <laughs> yeah, that is rare. Yeah. But sometimes organizations themselves, like a school, has a noble intention to educate the kids. So working at a school as a janitor would be far superior than being a used car salesman, lying to customers about the condition of the cars that you're about to sell. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. All right. Yeah. So. This is how we're looking at it, that, the, that it's actually not the job itself so much as it's the approach that we have and the attitude for it. But once we get a really, really noble attitude, now we can see for sure what the Buddha meant by the stuff about, well, I'm not going to be making weapons because I know that that's harming people and I'm here all gung ho for not harming people. And here I am making the AK-47s. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right. And so, uh, but we also have the strength of mind and the um, self-assurance to say, well, I can go do anything that's noble. And I don't have to stand here and do something that's not noble. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Now, there's one more that I'll give you. And that is, is that the Buddha actually gave an example of a okay. man who had a noble uh, profession. What this guy did was, I mean, this is ancient India, and you've got all kinds of really strange beliefs that wound up his sutta rules, like digging in the dirt and cutting uh, grass or cutting limbs and all of that kind of stuff. So this is what was in India before. So the story is, is that this guy goes down to the riverside and finds a place where the sand and the mud uh, have diggings, where the otters or the rats or a snake or some animal has dug a burrow and by digging it out, the way that they're digging it out, the mud and the sand more or less disconnect with each other and all he has to do is to pick up a handful of mud. Mm -hmm. 
and he goes down up and down and picks up the mud he then takes that mud and puts it in water to get this and filters the sand out of it but then he uses that mud as um, um, uh, objects that he makes clay pots mm-hmm. and dishes and items like that cures them in the sun he makes it and he puts it out in the sun and then in front of his hut where all of this stuff is drying in the sun as a sign that says take what you want and pay me what it's worth to you mm. and with that that was his job and he actually supported his family including his mother now that's the buddha story because he didn't even dig in the dirt Mm-hmm. He just picked up the mud. That's all he did was he just picked the mud up and that was discarded by some animal. So that would be um, uh, right livelihood in the sense of taking something. But he also didn't charge money, nor did he even advertise. He just had a sign up saying, take what you will and pay what you think it's worth. Mm-hmm. And as he got pretty good at it, I imagine the quality of his uh, uh, merchandise got very good. He didn't have to sell anything. He just spent his time, you know, making pottery. It was Mm -hmm. early in the morning. He'd go get the mud and then all day he would have the pottery dry with nothing to do and no place to go. He had a really nice life. Mm. Boy, doesn't that sound lovely? (laughs) (laughs) Quite lovely. Yes. Well, if we all lived that kind of lifestyle, then there would be enough mud laying around for us to have a nice lifestyle. The problem is, is that some guys want all the mud. Mm. Right. That's true. Yep. Mm-hmm. So um, that's that's the whole point, then, is one's right livelihood or right lifestyle has to do with the condition of one's mind and very little else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like like everything else, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? Is yeah, of course. It's all about the about the the mental space. It becomes quite obvious. Like mm-hmm. uh, quite, sometimes it's yeah. When we catch ourselves and we can notice that is indeed the case. It's it's so obvious. <laughs> uh, yeah. It really is. So now we've gotten a bunch of examples of things that we can see would be wrong livelihood just by looking at them. Things that actually harm people, making manufacturing mm-hmm. weapons, selling poison, selling alcohol is also generally listed on one of those uh, not to do list. Mm-hmm. So bar owners. And in fact, I can't think of a, um, a more confused role than a bar owner. Mm. That's a really confused role. Why? Because in some states, he's got a really noble obligation to dry out the drunks as well as um, uh, uh, moan with them when they're having a pity party, Mm -hmm. calling the right sort of organizations that can come and give this guy help, social workers and whatnot like that. But he's also... Most of them are much not interested in the social aspects of the job and how they can help people. They're just interested in getting the money. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. So that's a that's a rare case of a bartender who has an, a nobly run bar. That's unlikely. In fact, uh, if that noble guy inherited a bar or or somehow it fell off upon him the ownership of it. Uh, let's say his brother died. His brother was a bar owner and he was just left with the bar. Okay. Mm-hmm. The thing then for him to do 
would to find a way of converting that business out of selling alcohol into selling something like fruit shakes or something else like that. Mm. So he could make an arrangement so that the the business was not so dangerous. Mm. If that's the mindset that he has. If right. the mindset is, is that you're going to be here to help people and to uh, add to the society. And the reason that we wouldn't do that is because we've already got enough. Mm. We're overflowing yeah, yeah. With, with life. Most people, even if they've got millions and millions, even billions of dollars, it's not enough. They still feel yeah. empty. Yeah, yeah. Never ends. What about like just a, a quick curiosity that I just came, just came to mind? What about like the city? How does life, right livelihood apply to people like monks, for example? Um, how, how does that apply to them? Is it about like the, I don't know, like the the way of like like the alms rounds and that sort of thing? Or I don't know how that w would work. Just a funny curiosity. I know it's. I have actually been there and done that experimentally on Saturday mornings at seven o'clock in the morning on Saturdays, going down to trade and trying in downtown Charlotte, North Carolina in the business district and go on Vendabot. I don't know why the guy wanted to go there, but the abbot wanted to go there. I think it was more of a show. But surprisingly enough, there were just enough bakeries and things open and people brought stuff out. They weren't Buddhist at all. But they were impressed that the Buddhist monks were in downtown Charlotte, North Carolina on a Saturday morning. Mm. Okay. But there's not much Bendabite done. But in fact, the Bendabite that's done in the United States is often done right there at the Watt. And that people will come and bring their stuff to give to the monks at the Watt. That's not true here. Here in Thailand, any morning that you get up early enough to go outside at seven in the morning and go from here to Tong Sala, 12 kilometers, and just start counting the monks. Let's <laughs> mm. see. Because they're out and it's part of the culture. It's been a part of the culture and I can see that the way that the culture got started was not because of one monk leaving India and going to China or Burma or Thailand or whatever like that, but they actually went in groups that when they when they traveled, they took the whole show. What do I mean the whole show? The triple gem, the whole show. You got a Buddha in this crowd, you got the Dhamma in all of these monks, and you've got a Sangha here. You've really got a Sangha. And that Sangha then, that, that, uh, that traveling artillery section of Sangha then can go into these places and disperse and one of them will get enough stuff so that he can come back and feed everybody and then they all know which neighborhoods to go to mm, I see okay so when you've got a group of people we can figure that out now what's so in Moke is really interesting because there's at least 20 different paths that monks go on and that they kind of line up at the gate. But then uh, I found out uh, from one of my students that at Dom Kiem, they have a completely different route because they open, they go out uh, from Dom Kiem and then they um, walk along. Uh, it's actually a berm that was created by digging a trench or a canal. 
Mm. And so, but the monks have been on top of this berm for so long that they, they it's just a pathway that takes them down to the river. And at the river is houses and whatnot. So they walk about two kilometers to get down to these houses and do Vendabat and then come back. And that uh, one of the things that Achanmeti does when he's going on Vendabat like that, that, that in fact, Amkiyam is a training monastery for Westerners. And so he'll have four or five Westerners as well as a couple of monks to go on this Vendabat. Well, that's very, very traditional in Thailand. They actually have particular names. One would be Luxit if he's actually a student of the Achan. And the other one is <laughs> a funny word, is Kapow. And the word Kapow is used for the word pocket or purse. Mm. Or even wallet. Okay, and so the Kapow is the guy who is there with the monks. And his job is just to carry all of the stuff that the monks wouldn't carry if they were alone. And so when the, uh, uh, the lay people see um, a kapow with the, um, uh, with the monks, they go get all the stuff that they would have thrown in the trash or whatever and bring it out and give it to him, which means now everybody can eat. I think I've seen videos of like, uh, of uh, in Thailand, uh, in, in monasteries and monks and stuff like that. And I do remember seeing like a, so, like, the person would put the alms round on the bowl of the monk, and then there would be another person on the side of the monk that would, that would like, then pick that up and put it there. Right? That's the so kapow. That's him. Ah, I see, I see. Yeah. That's his job. And he goes mm. along with the monks if there's one or two. I've also seen uh, a few, let us say, a whole line of monks, one after another, yes. and it may be as many as 20 or 30 monks, and mm -hmm. they're going down through this area where the people are then giving food out. And it's almost like um, um, that everybody's got a little bit of food to give. And as the monks are passing uh, down these rows of people putting stuff, uh, sometimes you'll see the arm of the kapow reach out and grab something rather than it be put into someone's bowl. Mm -hmm. So sometimes you have a whole... But, when there's a lot of monks in a line like that, this is almost always a ceremony that people have collected there to do that intentionally, just like they do at the Watts here in the United, or when they was in the U.S., when they mm -hmm. did it there. But uh, most of the mornings, it's going to be three or four monks and one or two kapow, or maybe in the case that I was saying with uh, Don Kim, as many as, say, four monks and five kapow. But that's it. That's nine. That's quite a that's quite a lot for a village to handle. Mm, I see. And so uh, uh, that's only kind of the outside of it. But these these people in that area know why uh, there's more kapow than there are monks. Mm, right. They're already familiarized with all of it. Right. Because they're they're there for training. They are monks in training. Mm, I see. OK, so. Um, it's part of the culture here mm -hmm. and it's not part of the culture in the west and it never will be because the monks who are in the west were invited to the west by the refugees from various countries and then those refugees that are living in the west in the united states will take care of those monks mm -hmm. and so the monks don't have to go out on vendabat unless they're just being adventurous or <laughs> whatever like we do mm -hmm. for some time 
times. I mean, it's actually a good idea just to get out and go Bendabot because that's how they're known in in Thailand is monks out in the morning going on Bendabot. So going out and and we can expect to get nothing and be surprised. But mm-hmm. if you're expecting to get a whole meal, <laughs> you're probably going to be disappointed. So yeah, it's better right. just to go out with the exercise of just going out and not care too much about what you're going to get. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you have to plan your places carefully also for that. But basically what we're talking about, then is there is skill built into the bendabot. Mm. There's a lot of skill built into it so that uh, uh, it's a cooperation between uh, the people. In fact, you could go so far as to say that the garbage uh, disposal department in Thailand wears orange. Because they come every morning and collect food scraps. (laughs) I see. Mm. But they don't take plastic much and they don't take empty water bottles that you have to have somebody else. But if food scraps, right. yeah, we've got monks. They come and take all of that stuff away. I see. <laughs> right. Now, there's another one that's kind of funny about that. And that is, is that Wat Chulipatan, which is the largest Wat, well, it was 40 years ago, I assume it's still the largest Wat in Thailand. Achan Panyananda was the abbot at that time. And he was a great fan and, and big friend of Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa. So Wat Chulabhatan, when you talk about Wat Chulabhatan, that's almost talking the same as if it's Wat Suen Mok. Except mm. that Wat Suen Mok would have at most 400 monks. Wat Chulabhatan, 2,000, sometimes 3,000 monks. I mean, this is places don't slouch. It's a huge place. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, in those days, and I think that later uh, the the school was moved. But it, in those days, in the uh, mid 1980s, there was a huge school for kids that was beside the property of the Watt. On the other side of the highway was a huge, huge slum, and the mm. monks would go off into the slum. Uh, and when I'm saying slum, it wasn't necessarily dirty and filthy, but it was very um, um, uh, poorly constructed buildings with low-hanging roofs and that kind of stuff. And so we go off into this area for Bendabot, and the monks who go off into that area from Wat Chulabaton by the hundreds come loaded down every morning with so much stuff that they can't carry it all. Mm-hmm. And so then the monks sit around and have breakfast together. And then all the stuff that they can't use gets put into great big wash tubs. And then the then the kapow that are there at the temple take all of these wash tubs, put them on the back of the truck, take them down the road and give them to the high to the school. What I'm saying is, is that in Thailand, in this particular situation, the, the moms and dads fed their kids every day at lunch at the school by giving the the lunch and not giving it to the kids they gave it to the monks i see knowing knowing that it didn't have a particular label this is from my mommy to this child but rather that all the food that's coming out of this place is first fed by the monks and then they feed all the kids in this school mm-hmm. and when I saw that, comes I around just, this this is just I mean this is Thailand <laughs> you do yeah. not find that kind of thing in the United States mm. <laughs> right and so there's a kind of a generous spirit that has to do with being around the monks the monks promote generosity 
That's, that's the right livelihood of the monk then, is, is that to promote generosity. Mm. Is that a lovely livelihood to have? <laughs> What a lovely livelihood that is. <laughs> okay. I don't know how late it is for you. Uh, but... Uh, 4.30, close to 4.30. I... I have another question, but I don't know if it's too late, if it's like better for another day or not. I was here. It's about uh, Mudita. And uh, yeah. I suppose uh, Mudita. 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 Yes. Okay. And, We uh, have been talking about Mudita for the past hour. Yes, 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 exactly. Yes. <laughs> that, that, yeah. that said, uh, the... Um, Uh, the attitude of generosity and gratitude is the hallmark of mudita. Yes. It is referred to in English, the translation is sympathetic joy, mm -hmm. but the ordinary way of talking about it is uh, the way that the Buddha says that he can find pleasure anywhere. So anybody who's got any joy, yeah, let me come, you know, get a teaspoon of it. Mm. So it's dripping out. Um, But really, Mudita has to do more with you sharing your joy. The sympathetic vibration is uh, basically what you could say is whatever note is playing the loudest, all the musical instruments tend to pick up and vibrate at that frequency. Mm. Many examples of that. One of them is rebel rousing. Another one is in... Um, um, Uh, Shelley's book on Frankenstein at the end of the book everybody in the village is absolutely terrified of this monster and one guy gets brave and he says we can do it we can take care of that guy and he and he rips up that mob and they go get their Frankenstein mm. okay because one guy can change everybody's attitude this is Mudita whoever's got the strongest voice well guess what in our society in the West Normally, the strongest voice is the one who's the angriest or the one who's the most afraid. Hmm. And so if you've got somebody really afraid about all the stuff that can go bad, he's going to make everybody afraid because he's shouting at the top of his lungs. Hmm. Unless he's right. saying it's a crackpot. So is there any... Um, well... <laughs> Is there any, uh, like, um, say, a particular way to, like, to, like, practice yes. this kind of... Okay, I've been waiting for you to ask to get it all out. All right, so here, <laughs> yes, here's the answer. Think of it like this. Have you ever heard of people bringing a knife to a gunfight? Yeah. All right. Knowing that, you've got to start taking an atomic bomb to every fight. Right. Right. What is that? Explosive joy. <laughs> mm. Right. You got to overpower them. Okay. Um, you've heard the phrase, a, uh, a, a teaspoon of sugar will help the medicine go down. Mm -hmm. A spoonful of sugar will help the medicine go down. Right. Okay. That's the point of Mudita, is if we start adding sugar, it helps the medicine go down. No guarantee, but in some cases, we need a ton of sugar to get one pill in. Mm. 
Mm. Right. Especially if we're trying to get it down the throat of someone who's really pissed off, really angry. Right. Okay. And so normally what people will do who have a little bit of mudita, a little bit of sympathetic joy, they'll go and get completely overwhelmed and overtaken by the angry one, and then they'll slink off and say, well, it's better to have seclusion than it is to be in that. Mm. Right? Yes. But if he's off in seclusion and he really gets some joy going, then even though this guy is really angry, our joy comes right in and keeps coming in and keeps coming in, and it mm. will wear down that, that anger if we have enough joy. Hmm. And not only that, but in this situation, you could say that at least 90% of that spoonful of sugar is getting wasted anyway, because we're just slinging it all over the place. And so we need a lot of it. We need a lot of ammunition. Mm -hmm. You need a lot of ammunition if you're going to overpower other people's bad feelings with your good feelings. But it can be done. I've seen it happen many, many times. Yes. Yeah, I think I've seen that too, and yeah. Right. <laughs> so that's what mudita is. That in fact, you can see the sequence is, is that if we have kindness for other people and we can see the situation that they're in, instead of jumping into that situation ourselves and, and uh, misery loves company. Mm -hmm. Angry right. people want you to be angry. Yeah. Yeah, that is true. <laughs> People who are weeping and poor me's, they want you to be there. They're now always going to be all right. I mean, this was a, he was so bad to you. Oh, he hurt your feelings so badly, you know, that kind of stuff. You feel you have every right to be as mopey and as unhappy as you are. He really <laughs> hurt you. He really dumped upon you, and it's terrible. Yeah. And you could go the same way, and I know that people won't like it when I say it like that, is that, oh, you feel really bad because your son died. Hmm. When he was alive, you didn't like him very much. But now that he's dead, look at, oh, poor me. Oh, my son died. Hmm. All right. So right. We get ourselves into pity parties. And that the right way to handle that through compassion is with Mudita, that you don't agree with them. That when somebody's son dies, you don't sit down and says, oh, my daughter just died. Let's have a pity party together. We can communicate mm. and connect. Right. That's not the right way to do it because now you've got two people in a pity party. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. It doesn't help anyone to leave that state. Mm -hmm. So mudita means is that you, it doesn't matter how unhappy, sad, depressed, angry, or whatever someone else is, if you're going to deal with them, You've got to deal with them with enough joy to overpower whatever bad feelings that they have. And you have to stay there and rub it in and rub it in and rub it in until they come out of their state. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. And sometimes they get really stuck into it. They're bound and determined you're not going to get them out of it. Oh, yeah. That's quite a lot. It's like most people, I would say. <laughs> yeah. And and so um, more sugar, please. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I, there seems to be some. Well, I don't know. It seems to be like some kind of like threshold as well that like we we can't that like like after we do it and 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 you know we do our best in in a 
kind and loving way. And then uh, it just never seems to work. Then at some point, like, do we just like take a break? Because at some point it feels like even that. That's what it starts I, yeah, I mentioned that, well. that if you do not have the joy to manage this bad feeling, then the right thing to do is say, oh, excuse me, I've got to go to the bathroom right now. That's, yeah. And then the bathroom yeah. you find happens to be five kilometers from here. <laughs> yeah. So we return ourselves back to seclusion and we cultivate the happy states again. And, right. and then we mm -hmm. go back at it again. And then you go back at it again right. and treat it as a training exercise. Other people's bad feelings is a training exercise, just like your own bad feelings were before a training exercise, except now you have the skills that you need to deal with it. Mm -hmm. Right. You develop those skills getting rid of your own bad feelings. Now you can happily deal with other bad feelings without having to feel bad yourself. Mm. That you've got the power now. But that's the right attitude. The attitude is that I can maintain my cool no matter what. Right. Yeah. No matter how hot they get, no matter how what temperature they glow at, mm -hmm. I'm going to maintain cool. That's mudita. Mm -hmm. And I've heard, I think I've heard as well somewhere or seen written somewhere that uh, it is the antidote to jealousy. Is that true? Or am I confusing it with Karuna? At, at an ordinary level, yes, that's true. Mm -hmm. That's the beginning. That's when your, your uh, fellow employee gets the job to be the boss that you wanted. Mm. Okay, if you were competing with him for that job and he got it, now he's going to be your boss. If you continue in that, being jealous of him about that, it's going to affect your work performance and he's going to affect his attitude towards you. Mm -hmm. If, however, you can get your mind together enough, you'll go and invite him out and, in fact, the whole work group to lunch and you pay mm. for it congratulating him. I'm so happy that you got it. Boy, I wanted that job, but now that you've got it, I don't want it at all. And so you give him that job. You are mm -hmm. sympathetically joyful for him because if you don't, you're going to get fired by staying jealous. Mm. Then you really will feel bad. Not only mm. did you not get the job, but the guy who got the job fired you. And I don't even know why he fired me. I was the best <laughs> employee there, you know, is the kind of mentality mm. we have. We will not accept the fact that our jealousy is what got us fired. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, there is that element there. But if jealousy was never the issue for you anyway, that this is an ordinary situation, uh, that somebody's just angry because of their angry, you know, it's got nothing to do with you, but you've got to deal with their anger. How are you going to deal with it? Joyfully. Mm -hmm. Right. Just like you, how are you going to handle a very tense, dangerous situation like a, um, a traffic stop where the cop stops somebody? There you have, you look in your rearview mirror, red, blue, red, blue, red, blue, and you hear that, or whatever noise <laughs> that they make. How do you feel? Yeah. All right. How do you feel? Normally, people feel afraid and uptight, and by the time the cop gets to the door, they're freaked out. Mm. Yeah. And so... The cop picks up on that. And so now you've got two people afraid. 
But if you've got presence of mind, if you've got, oh, I've got my sati together. Yeah, it's a cop here. Never mind. And so when he rolled, when you roll down, you went, hello, officer. I'm really glad to see you guys out tonight. I was feeling really safe and secure knowing that I've got good cops on duty. Thank you, sir, for your service. Now, what can I do for you? <laughs> right. With that kind of attitude, you're less likely to get a ticket. Mm -hmm. With that attitude, you're much less likely to get shot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> right. Okay, so there, that's mudita for you, right there. And okay. got nothing to do with jealousy, but it has to do with, do you have the, the joy to spread it around in a tense situation? Mm. But it, it can Take still be... Things, so they say. Hmm. But it can still be used for that purpose, right? For the the jealousy uh, aspect as well. Actually, I would do that a little bit differently. Here's how I would do it. Jealousy. I'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> Let me go take care of this jealousy. I don't need to be mm. here with jealousy, trying to fix it up while you're watching me be jealous and try to get over it. No, I'll go take mm. a hike. I'll go do that in private. I'll get over it. Mm. I see. Go into seclusion with jealousy, and when we're over that stuff, then we can come back with full bone mudita. Mm -hmm. I see. So we just, so we just. We just do our regular practice of going back into seclusion and uh, practicing mm -hmm. wholesome, happy states. And so, uh, in that in that situation, with that, then you could say that while the guy is um, being told that he's the new boss and you're standing there with all your jealousy and rage and all of that, the right thing to do is to slip off behind, go into the bathroom or down the hall or into the uh, uh, stairwell or something and take a few deep breaths and get over it. Mm -hmm. Yes. Get I, yourself yeah. into seclusion and then go back in there all happy that he's gotten the job. I see. I see. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Because the only other thing is just to be jealous and get fired. Right. He doesn't. Or you can be his best friend. You can be his best buddy. You can help him be the best job and uh, best boss in the whole place. Mm -hmm. Right. I By see. supporting him. Yeah. I mean, after I all, like you are even not even just as good as he is. You're better than he is. He just happened to have gotten the job, but that doesn't mean he won. I won. <laughs> I'm mm -hmm. the winner here. <laughs> right. Right. I see. Okay. Okay. I think so. <laughs> I think I'll uh I'll have I'll call you somewhere soon, maybe next week or so, because I'll be doing a a retreat in about a month and I'd like to hear your thoughts on that okay. as well. Excellent. Also, where are you located? I'm in Finland at the moment. In Finland, okay, we have um, uh, a UK Sangha uh, that's 10 o'clock on, on Sunday mornings, uh, UK time. So whatever time it is in Finland, 11 or 12 or 1 or whatever like yep. that, uh, feel free to join us. Do you have the link? I do. Actually, you when you type that on Discord, uh, you type like a message saying that you responded to me. So that was a, 
So I was the person who asked. So uh, excellent. So I'm aware, I'm aware. I'm aware, and I'll I'll do my best to be there tomorrow. So if you can, I'd like to see you. Yes. Yes. Right. Thank All you right. very much. Well, we will see you soon. May yes. your livelihood be enjoyable. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Thank you. Thank you very much. Right. Bye bye. Okay. Bye bye.